0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to our text, Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Zechariah 14, beginning with verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord in his name, one. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Giva to Ruman south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place, from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananil unto the king's wine presses. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. After Israel had been dispersed among the nations, for nearly 2,000 years, in 1948, due to a charter of the United Nations, Israel was constituted to be a nation. Many Christians uh, believe that God in 1948 remembered his covenant with Israel and brought them back to national life at that time. It was as if uh, Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled in the dry bones coming alive. Many interpret Israel's establishment by that United Nations Charter in 1948 and the ensuing wars in which Israel was victorious as evidence that God had restored, by way of his blessing, restored Israel unto himself. But is that an accurate interpretation of historical events in light of what God's Word teaches about Israel in its present state of unbelief and rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I ask you, what change of heart toward Jesus has occurred in Israel as a nation now or even in 1948 that was different from what Jesus said about Israel during the time of his ministry? What changes has occurred? In Israel's heart Jesus said in Matthew 21 43 the kingdom of God shall be taken from you as Israel as is a nation now or in 1948 embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ so as to become God's friend or is Israel still God's enemy as Paul Indicated due to the rejection of the gospel. In Romans eleven twenty eight, 28, where Paul says, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Well, if nothing has changed from the time of Christ, the time of Apostle, to 1948, to the present, if nothing has changed in the collective heart of Israel toward Jesus, then... Would not the words, inspired words, of the Apostle Paul still remain in effect? Those words found in 1 Thessalonians 2.16, wrath is come upon them to the uttermost, upon Israel. You see, dear ones, until Israel as a nation looks in faith and looks in repentance to Jesus whom they pierced, according to Zechariah 12.10. Their establishment as a nation in 1948 should not be viewed as a sign of God's blessing upon a covenant-keeping nation because they are not a covenant-keeping nation. They are a covenant-breaking nation presently. Nor should we stand with Israel in whatever policies Israel adopts while presently being a covenant-breaking nation. Israel has a right to defend herself against hostile attacks, as it does any nation. But we cannot stand with Israel, nor with any nation, not even with our own nation, When it is God's enemy, when it is a covenant-breaking nation that despises Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, and as King. God's covenant blessings, dear ones, will only be realized in Israel when Israel as a nation turns in faith and repentance unto Jesus and renews her covenant with the Lord God in terms of the new covenant confirmed in Christ's blood. The new covenant, dear ones, is the fulfillment and is the realization of God's covenant of grace that was made In the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. The realization and fulfillment is the new covenant. And when Israel comes to Jesus Christ, she will receive, she will be brought into the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Our main points are these from our text today. First of all, Israel will be judged by the Lord in the future, Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 2. And the second main point, God's judgment upon Israel will only end when Israel turns in faith to Jesus as Messiah, Zechariah 14, verses 3 through 11. So our first main point, Israel will be judged by the Lord in the future we read in verses 1 through 2 once again behold the day of the Lord cometh and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished and half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Just a little bit of background about the book of Zechariah and Zechariah himself. Zechariah was a post-exilic prophet after the exile, after they returned to uh, the Holy Land. Uh, uh, He was a prophet that ministered among God's people along with Haggai and then Malachi as well uh, later on. His ministry from about 520 to 480 B.C., he was mightily used of the Lord both to challenge God's people and to encourage the remnant of Israel that returned from captivity back to Judah and Jerusalem in order to complete the the. the uh, Rebuilding of the temple and uh, his ministry, as he alludes to in the early chapters, the foundation of the temple had been laid 15 years later and still the temple was not completed. And so his challenge was to them to encourage them to finish and complete the rebuilding of the temple. Don't leave it simply with the foundation laid, but finish the work that God has given to you. There were many enemies that came against Israel at that time when they returned to the land. Some some were due to um, the enemies uh, in high places, like the king himself of Persia. Some were the Samaritans round about uh, Israel that hated and despised uh, Israel returning back to their their homeland, the land God had given to them. And they sought every way to conspire against Israel. Uh, uh, the Israelites brought back in order to defeat uh, and to bring all their plans to rebuild the temple to naught Some of the problems uh, were with Israel itself with the Israelites uh, with those uh, caught up with more building their own homes rather than building the rebuilding the temple of God uh, basically a, a worldly, mindset so consumed with their own world so consumed with their own uh, home and their own treasures that they did not devote the time the expense at all to rebuilding the kingdom of god supporting the ministry to see the kingdom built as we look at zechariah the first chapters of the prophecy of Zechariah Uh, more are concerned with uh, past and present circumstances as are related to to God's people who had returned uh, to rebuild the temple. The latter chapters in Zechariah are more prophetic stretching forward uh, into the history, or the future history of uh, Israel. Times of apostasy on the part of Israel, times of faith, repentance, and salvation by the Lord Jesus. And there seems to be, uh, in especially Zechariah chapters 12, 13, and 14, those three chapters, there seems to be quite a bit of overlap by way of content. They are basically describing in those last three chapters the same events. Uh, Slightly different uh, language, but essentially covering the same events. And that, that similarity hopefully we'll be able to share to some degree in the sermon today. Each of these chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, covers the same future events in which the Lord would judge Israel through hostile nations and yet mercifully save Israel from her enemies when she turned in faith and repentance unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that there is a uniform interpretation that all conservative Bible-believing scholars will agree on these chapters as to who's in view and when these are to be realized and fulfilled. But I, I will seek to, to lay out and present to you what I believe uh, is a consistent historical, Uh, position in interpretation of these chapters so let us begin as we look at before actually looking at chapter 14 I I have uh, two questions that I would like to first ask in order to understand better first of all who is in view here and when is this to be realized and fulfilled so who is this Jerusalem or this Judah that is defeated by this coalition of nations? In verse 2, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Who is this Jerusalem? Likewise in uh, Zechariah 12, 9, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And then in chapter 13, verses 8 through 9. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through fire, and will refine them, as silver is refined. And I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. So does this speak of Israel in the land that is attacked and defeated by these hostile nations? or does this rather speak of hostile nations that come against Christ's church, church composed of both Jews and Gentiles, and Christ coming to deliver, and redeem uh, his saved church so basically the two positions it refers to israel uh, in an unconverted state that the nations come against or it refers to the church of jesus christ the redeemed church of jesus christ as i said there are sound commentators past and present on both sides of this question but it seems to me that these chapters are addressing national Israel in her unconverted state being defeated by hostile nations yet turning in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ at some time in the future throughout the book and let me just give a couple reasons why I think it refers to national Israel as opposed to the church composed of Jews and Gentiles at the present time or subsequent to Christ in this present age throughout the book of Zechariah Jerusalem and Judah uh, are referred to uh, many times those those uh, Designations occur many times throughout the book of Zechariah, and uh, again, uh, they seem always to refer to national Israel. For example, in Zechariah chapter one, verse twelve, just you know, just a couple examples, but these this is just a a couple of out of many examples that could be mentioned. But Zechariah one twelve says. <clears throat> Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? Clearly here, uh, the angel of the Lord, uh, which uh, I believe to be the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the covenant, the angel of the Lord, Uh, is inquiring concerning uh, to the the Father, is uh, uh, inquiring about the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah these past 70 years. When is the Lord going to show mercy upon them, upon uh, Jerusalem and Judah? Clearly, it seems to me, the historical context must be uh, national Israel we're talking about there, not the church uh, composed of both Jew and Gentile. Likewise, in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 13 through 15, notice what is said, And it shall come to pass that as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and ye shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, As I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, saith the Lord of hosts, and I repented not, so again have I thought in these days to do well unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, fear ye not. So again, um, they were once judged by God, cursed by God. The same people, the Lord says, Uh, through the prophet he is going to rescue he's going to save he's going to to uh, to deliver that no doubt was again uh, what was going on during this particular period of time of uh, the restoration to the land the time of zechariah return from uh, exile the rebuilding of the temple Uh, but i i simply want to establish to some degree, for you, that when Israel, when Jerusalem, when Judah is used, that it is speaking with regard to, in the earlier chapters, and again, I don't know why we would, for the sake of consistency, um, change and alter the meaning, the interpretation of the same words earlier in the book, to change them to something different. Uh, For the sake of context, for the sake of consistency, it seems we ought to interpret uh, the terms Jerusalem and Judah in the same way in the latter portions of Zechariah as we would the earlier portions of Zechariah. Another reason I would suggest that this refers to national. Israel in her unconverted state as opposed to the church the redeemed church is that in Zechariah chapters 12 13 and 14 Jerusalem and Judah uh, are in a state of unbelief until they are converted there when they cry out to the Lord and they look upon Jesus in faith whom they pierced whom they pierced is that speaking of the of the church of jesus christ the the church is the church is uh, not unconverted the church is converted the church is redeemed whereas here jerusalem and judah that are referred to in these chapters are unconverted until they cry out in the midst of their being overrun by these hostile nations. They cry out to the Lord and they look upon him, upon Jesus, whom they have pierced. Then they will be converted. So again, it does not seem that those chapters refer to the church composed of both Jew and Gentile that are already redeemed that are already converted, but it's referring to a time in the future, I would suggest, as we'll look at in just a moment in answering the question, when this is going to be realized and fulfilled. But we're dealing, I believe, with an unconverted Israel, an unconverted Judah in Jerusalem that will yet turn in faith and repentance unto Jesus Christ. So the second question that we want to consider is, when will these hostile nations come against Israel? Well, again, I believe that in these chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, I believe they will come after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because as we've already noted, that uh, Israel... Jerusalem and Judah will cry out in the midst of this attack. Uh, They will cry out, according to Zechariah 12, 9 through 10, unto the Lord with these words, And it shall come to pass in that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of uh, David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. Notice, And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and he sh- and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Obviously for Jerusalem, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for the Jews living there to, to mourn uh, and to look for uh, unto Jesus Christ whom they pierced is to speak of a time subsequent to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ not prior to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ likewise in verses of chapter 13 uh, verses 7 through 9 uh, this is quoted in the gospel of John this, this uh, passage which again during the ministry of Christ. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Again, uh, I think further evidence that this uh, was fulfilled um, after uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And... uh, We see furthermore uh, in in seeking to determine when these hostile nations come against Israel uh, because of what we've just looked at in chapter 12 and chapter 13, uh, prophecies of, of Christ to come, that this cannot therefore refer to the persecution brought against the Jews under antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, there are those who understand these hostile nations to be fully realized uh, during the persecution uh, of antiochus uh, the syrian uh, king that uh, did indeed persecute savagely uh, the jews but uh, we've already seen that they cry out when these hostile nations come against them they cry out and receive Christ, whom they have pierced. So it cannot be a reference to Antiochus in 168 before Christ, B.C. It must be, again, to an event that occurs after uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, there are many sound conservative scholars who believe that this was realized in the destruction of Jerusalem in in 70 AD. As well, that certainly occurred after the crucifixion, uh, after uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But let me share with you some reasons why I don't think that's the time in which this was fulfilled in 70 AD. What is said in the prophecy does not match up with what occurred in 70 AD. For example, in Zechariah 14.2, it says that half of Jerusalem is taken into captivity while the other half is left in Jerusalem. But in 70 AD, the city was completely destroyed and depopulated. Moreover... What was especially significant about the destruction of Jerusalem was the temple was there. And yet, in Zechariah 14, it doesn't mention anything about the temple being destroyed. It doesn't mention anything about the city of Jerusalem being destroyed in Zechariah 14. Because half of the population is left in the city to continue on, even after they're defeated, even after Jerusalem is overcome. Um, whereas in 70 AD, obviously, the temple was destroyed. And so, again, it seems odd that, that if this is referring to the destruction of Jerusalem in Zechariah 14, uh, that it doesn't mention the city being completely destroyed, nor does it mention the temple uh, being destroyed. Nothing is said at all, and yet in all the prophecies... For example, the Lord Jesus, um, with regard to the destruction of Jerusalem, that's a major issue. The temple is going to be destroyed. Something else about what we find here is that in these chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14 of Zechariah, victory is given to the Jews over these nations when Jerusalem and Judah turn in faith to Jesus Christ. And yet, that's not what happened in 70 AD. Did the Romans, were the hostile Romans that came against Jerusalem, were they destroyed? Did the city of Jerusalem turn in faith to Jesus Christ at that time? I don't remember reading anything of that happening, that Rome was destroyed, and yet the nations that come here against Jerusalem, that overtake Jerusalem in Zechariah 14, they are defeated. They are defeated. Moreover, in Zechariah 14, verse 11, it says that after the Lord brings victory... Uh, to Jerusalem against these hostile nations. It says that men shall dwell in it, in the city of Jerusalem, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. That certainly didn't happen in 70 AD, that Jerusalem was subsequently safely inhabited. And finally... Jesus, as we noted, uh, did not destroy the Romans at that time and bring all the nations of the earth at that time under his rule, as is said he will do in Zechariah fourteen nine, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord in his name, one. So I, I simply don't see how Zechariah 14 was then realized, fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem uh, and the temple in 70 AD by the Romans. So, so we've looked at Antiochus Epiphanes. That's before Christ. That, that cannot be what Zechariah 14 is referring to we looked at 70 A.D., the one other, uh, as it were, the one other key time in which many scholars see this realized and fulfilled, and the historical events do not match up with what we read here in Zechariah 14. And again, uh, I don't know of any other event or time that would parallel what is stated here in Zechariah 14. Therefore, I submit to you, this ha- it has not yet occurred. The fulfillment of this is yet in the future. When nations will come against Israel, when they will cry out within Jerusalem unto the Lord Jesus Christ, believe and trust in him whom they pierced. And Lord Jesus will rescue and will save them and deliver them at that time. He will turn them from being an unbelieving and Christ-rejecting nation, and he will bring them unto himself. The Charter of the United Nations, dear ones, in 1948 as we noted, did not change the heart of Israel or bring her to Christ to be restored as a Christian nation. That will yet happen in the future, but it did not happen in 1948. Israel is unchanged from the time of Christ and Paul, from the time of the Charter of the United Nations in 1948. Israel remains the same. An unbelieving, unconverted nation. And in the words of Paul in Romans 11:28, is the enemy of God, the enemy of Christ. It is a covenant-breaking nation. Well, it's prophesied that God would bring this confederation of enemy nations that we find in chapters 12, 13, and 14, God would bring this confederation of enemy nations against, as we've noted, a covenant-breaking, unconverted Israel. Well, Israel is in the land. And so, in order for this prophecy to be realized, Israel needed to be in the land. In 1948, Israel was brought into the land. But it was not brought into the land at that particular time with God's blessing upon Israel as a covenant-keeping nation. But it was brought into the land. Nevertheless, God raises up nations. God puts down nations. He is the, he's the Lord. He's the governor of all nations. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he did bring Israel into the land again. Regardless, again, of of those particular circumstances surrounding the Charter, and again, um, I'm not going to go into great detail about that uh, whole issue. I do want to say in a future sermon some things about Israel being in the land. But regardless of how one views the circumstances at that time, whether it was just or unjust in, in the way the charter of the United Nations uh, was rendered. Nevertheless, Zechariah 14 says, an unconverted and unbelieving nation will be in the land. Uh, That wasn't true before 1948. What events might lead all these nations to join together to war against and to defeat Israel, because Israel is defeated here for some period of time. don't know exactly how long they remain defeated by these nations, but they are defeated. What events might lead to this war? and the defeat of Israel. I can only speculate at this point, but perhaps an, act, an attack by Israel um, against Iran. Perhaps the refusal on the part of Israel uh, to agree with certain uh, territory occupied by the Palestinians in accordance with a proposed peace plan adopted by the United Nations. Perhaps uh, the attempt to rebuild the temple Uh, and we know that would cause a fuss uh, if that ever happened uh, with uh, the Dome of the Rock, the mosque uh, over this temple site, who knows? Again, we can only speculate what might precipitate this, this war that is brought against Israel and the defeat of Israel at that time. God does not state what leads to this attack against Israel, but Israel will be defeated, and Israel will be dispersed. Leads us to the second main point. God's judgment upon Israel will only end, and it will end, but it will only end when Israel turns to Jesus Christ. And we see that in the remainder of Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 through 11. I won't read uh, all of those verses. We'll touch on a few of those verses. But uh, let's continue in the second main point. We see here that the Lord will miraculously intervene on behalf of those who yet remain in Jerusalem to deliver them. In verses 3 through 5, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee, like as she fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. Here we see very graphic language that's used here of Christ's deliverance of Israel. And yet, I want to submit to you that I do not believe that this is speaking of the second coming, the bodily second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that might seem very strange in light of the language that's used there, but let me uh, explain briefly why I don't think that this refers to the bodily second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, there are many times in Scripture, uh, even in the Old Testament, that similar kind of language is used in a figurative sense to depict God's uh, judgment that he brings upon nations. For example, and these are historical, these are historical judgments, Uh, which God brought about in the Old Testament. For example, in Judges chapter 4, verses, uh, I'm sorry, 5, Judges 5, verses 4 through 5. This is uh, referring to the judgment God brought against Jabin, the Canaanite king, Sisera, the captain, through Deborah. You remember Deborah uh, and Barak, that won a, a mighty victory against this king, and this is the language that is used to depict how God judged uh, this heathen king and uh, this heathen nation. It says in these verses, Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, that's uh, again Edom, um, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped, The clouds also dropped water. The the mountains melted from before the Lord. Even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. You you hear the graphic figurative language that's used. It's talking about a historical judgment that God brought against the Canaanite king. Likewise, when David prays, because of the enemies that were come against him. Notice again the graphic language that is used of how David says, the Lord intervened and judged his enemies and brought victory unto him. He says, In my, this is uh, Psalm 18, verses 6 through 10, and then verse 17. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God, He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken, because he was wroth. There went up smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also. Notice. And came down. The Lord came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. Again, a historical judgment brought against David's enemies. God came down. Darknesses beneath his feet. He rode upon a cherub. He flew, and he, he just shook the very foundations of the earth when he did so. Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 4. Another historical judgment that the Lord uh, has brought against Edom, against uh, the capital city of Edom, Basra. But notice again the graphic and the figurative language of how God himself, how the Lord himself, brought this judgment. Who is this that cometh from Edom, with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And one other Old Testament passage, in Micah 1, verses 3 through 4, this judgment is brought not against the heathen nation, this judgment is brought against Israel herself by way of the Babylonian uh, destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. In Micah 1, verses 3 through 4, For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down, and notice, and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft, uh, split in two, as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. So again, this language that we find in Zechariah 14, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, it's not unusual language. It doesn't speak necessarily of the bodily second coming of Christ. In fact, I don't believe it does, but is rather referring to, in graphic figurative language, is referring to a judgment that God, the Lord Jesus, brings against the nations that come against Israel at a future time. And so, his coming is not visibly seen in bodily form any more than these other historical comings that are mentioned here that we've looked at. Coming in judgment upon nations, coming in judgment upon Israel. I believe that this, as I said, is a invisible coming of the Lord Jesus, in judgment upon these nations at that time to intervene on behalf of God's people. Notice the effect here that we see after Israel is converted. They cry out in chapter 12, verse 10, they cry out to the Lord for the Lord to save them. Uh, For uh, they look upon Jesus, whom they have pierced, they trust in him, they repent of their sin, and turn to Christ. Notice the conversion, the effect that the conversion of Israel will have upon the world. It says in verse 8, 14 verse 8, And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea in summer and in winter shall it be. Living waters, that is, the waters of the gospel uh, will proceed. Once Israel comes to Jesus Christ, she will send forth living waters to the nations of the world uh, by way of the gospel, uh, by way of taking the truth of Jesus Christ. She will be a Christian nation at that time and will be used of the Lord to draw other nations unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it shall be fully realized, according to verse 9, the Lord shall be king. This is during his millennial kingdom. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name won." Thus, as we try to summarize what we've looked at very quickly, let me just summarize very quickly what we have considered and hopefully you see, you see as well the, uh, the truth uh, uh, as it's been summarized. These are the events that I see very briefly occurring here. First of all, Israel is in the land and is yet unconverted. They are God's enemy. So this is, again, even after uh, the 1948 charter of the United Nations, this is, again, uh, it has not yet occurred, so this is yet future. Uh, Israel's in the land and is unconverted. Second, there is a confederation of nations that will attack an unconverted Israel and will defeat her and will lead many captive to other nations. Thirdly, God will turn unconverted Israel to Jesus Christ through the gospel, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Israel as a nation will cry out in faith and in repentance to Jesus as Messiah, and he will miraculously intervene and deliver Israel from her enemies as now a converted nation, Christian nation, to Jesus Christ. That tells us the importance of Jewish evangelism, the gospel being taken uh, to Jews being taken to uh, Israel even now uh, to see that that the gospel is planted there and has, again, some establishment among even uh, a few faithful Christians uh, in Israel that that will be used. The seed that has been planted will be used by the Lord to turn that nation unto Jesus Christ at that time. And then Israel as a nation will dwell safely in the land from that point on, as we see in verse 11, and men shall dwell in it and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be be safely inhabited. That will occur during the millennium uh, as when Jesus shall be king over all the earth, uh, that will be, occur likewise in the millennium. So this, this particular battle, I would suggest, uh, aligns well with what we find in Revelation 16, the battle of Armageddon. The ba- battle of Armageddon and the nations that are involved in that particular battle as well. Uh, That uh, I believe that there is an agreement uh, between these various portions of God's word. Hopefully, you can see from these passages, and this was the point I wanted to make. And kind of a long way of making this point, but I, this is the point I wanted to make. I saw last, we saw last week. That Israel is again in an unbelieving state uh, that they do not have the blessing of God upon them at this time because they are not a Christian nation they are a nation that has broken covenant with God they have put to death um, uh, as a covenantal people uh, the Lord Jesus Christ they will look upon him whom they pierced. As a nation, they will look upon him whom they pierced. And so there is responsibility and accountability uh, that uh, comes against Israel. Uh, But I, I wanted to be able to show, because many people, many Christians say 1948 is that year in which Israel was restored to the Lord because they were established as a nation. No, they were not. They were not restored to the Lord. They are yet the same people, even if they are within the land, which they must be in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled, but they're not in the land because of God's blessing upon them. Uh, They are yet the enemy of God until they turn in faith to Jesus Christ. So 1948, that's what I wanted to show. Beyond 1948, this prophecy that is yet to be realized, they are yet in an unconverted state, and God will send the nations of this world against them in judgment, and out of that judgment that God sends, they will cry out to the Lord in mercy, seeking the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. God will be merciful. God will not forget, though he, they are now a covenant-breaking nation, that implies that God made a covenant with them. They can't be a covenant-breaking nation if God did not make a covenant with them. But God will make them, in his mercy, a covenant-keeping nation in the future. And I want to just simply say this as I, as I close. Israel did not have to pull, drag God's mercy out from God as if God was reluctant to give his mercy. Dear ones, mercy can never be pulled out of God or from God. Mercy is always freely given to those who don't deserve it. Whether it's Israel, or whether it's you, or whether it's me. Mercy is that which is given freely to the undeserving. That's what mercy is. And as we grow, dear ones, to love God's mercy that has been shown to us, let us also grow in extending that mercy that God has shown to us to one another. Not on the basis of what he or she deserves, but simply because of God's mercy shown unto us. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Please stand with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to, uh, to read about thy mercy to thine ancient people Israel because it is the same mercy that thou dost show to us. For we are no different in that we are undeserving of that mercy than Israel is and has been. But Lord, thou dost delight to show mercy. And Lord, we delight even now to receive it. And we delight to hear how thou wilt show mercy to Israel in the future and how thou wilt show mercy to the nations of this world in the future through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not from simply some covenant from the past that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, but, but through Jesus Christ. For all mercy flows to us through Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that Thou would open our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we would not be those who therefore are stingy in showing mercy when we truly understand the mercy that has been given to us. May we delight to show mercy, even as thou dost delight to show mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.